Hello, goblins and ghouls, and welcome to My Haunted Life Podcast, the podcast all about the dark history behind your favorite paranormal stories. I'm your host, Angela Hartshorn. Good morning, goblins and ghouls. How is everyone doing out there today? I hope you are all having a wonderful day because honestly, you deserve it. I missed you all so much. It feels it feels like I haven't done this in a while and I'm really, really rusty. Uh, it took me a while to dial in the noises on the podcast, so hopefully I did that right. We'll find out shortly. Um... But yeah, I missed you guys. Midsummer Scream and all the prep that went into that became very overwhelming very quickly. So I'm sorry I fell off the edge of the world there. I was I was gone. It was intense. I had my buddies Rain and Phelan in the shop trying to help finish things off. I'm not used to having that many people help me, so Figuring out delegation was really hard for me, so that's a new skill I'm working on, I guess. Um, but yeah. If you two are listening, thank you. But yeah, overall, it was absolutely insane. I also realized, way after the fact, that the post I made about redoing the Queen Mary episode never actually posted. I decided to save the redo of the episode until I actually got to visit her. I found out right before we left that the Queen Mary was closed again. And every time I got on the website, there's a little disclaimer that popped up saying that it was closed again because of COVID. And I was pretty freaking devastated. This did not help my stress level and getting ready for the show it it this was one of my big things i was so excited about and it it didn't help my mental state um and so literally just in case just in case they lifted restrictions i was checking every day hoping they would release something and Nothing. And then I got really worried that Midsummer Scream was going to get cancelled. Um, so it was a very stressful couple weeks. Um, but obviously Midsummer Scream did not get cancelled. Uh, I got the real tea when I got down there. Apparently it has nothing to do with COVID. The city of Long Beach recently purchased her and discovered that she was in need of some maintenance. Maintenance? There we go. Some of the locals told us that she's basically sinking. It kind of sounded like when COVID hit, they just didn't do anything with her. And apparently she's pretty rusted and in bad shape. I don't know how bad, but it sounds like it's fixable. I mean, they're not going to let... The Queen Mary sink in the harbor, for God's sakes. It just... No. I mean, I really hope. 
Um, I'm still pretty devastated uh, about the whole thing that I didn't get to spend a night on her. Like, before COVID, I should say 2020, we had a room booked to stay there. And I obviously had to cancel, and I'm I'm still like, ugh. Anyways, but we, when we got there, me and Rain, we got our hotel room upgraded, and they asked us if we wanted a harbor view or a beach view. And Rain, being the amazingly smart woman that she is, asked which one do we get to see the Queen Mary, and they said the harbor view. So, um, shout out to the Hyatt right there. Amazing staff. But yeah, so we got to look out our hotel room at her constantly. I, I like finished hats in front of the window so I could watch her. Apparently Rain was being sneaky and took a picture of me working still on the hats and you could see her in the background. So that was cool. Rain did start giving me hell that she, she being the Queen Mary, was taunting me. Quite literally, every place we went had a view of her or a picture of her or a drink named after her. I was constantly reminded that I wasn't going to get on board. Like, it was insane. And then it was really funny because I got home Monday night. I took a couple days off to try to recover because I had a horrible flight back. Go into the shop today and the manager of the MAC sees me and wants to start talking to me about my trip. And she just kind of stops and looks at me. She goes, well, because you were in Long Beach, right? I'm like, yeah. Did you get to get... Do you know what the Queen Mary is? Did you get to go see it? I was like, of course I know what the Queen Mary is. She's like, oh yeah, we got to stay there. And she started telling me this family trip where they got to stay on the Queen Mary and it ugh, broke my heart all over again. Anyways. So, here's hoping for next year. Um, and for the next few episodes, I'm cheating a little bit. I don't want to bombard you with all the Midsummer Scream. Uh, details and stories all at once because that would be probably a podcast all on its own so i'm gonna sprinkle them all in here the next couple episodes since i'm working on them all at once so huh, i've been talking about doing this and i'm finally biting the bullet and doing it to start off the spooky season because it's august and it's time I'm doing a whole month of haunted doll stories. For those that don't know, I am not a fan of dolls. So I'm not really looking forward to this at all. But I did have a lot of fun researching this one. I'll give you that. Everyone has that one special childhood toy that they remember Fondly. Something that made you feel safe and comfortable. Something that let you know you weren't alone. 
these items seem to take on a life of their own, possibly from being imbued with the energy of a child's love. I don't know about you guys, but I know personally, me and my brother had stuffed animals that had names, slept with us, went everywhere with us. It was like they were a part of the family. Like a living, breathing family member. Almost like they were alive. I swear to this day, I saw these things move sometimes. Or they would be in different places from where I left them. Literally alive. I did grow up in a haunted house, but I always thought it was the stuffed animals themselves. And I, I, I was one of those kids with an overactive imagination. That's what I did. But a lot of this activity seemed to be around a doll that my grandma Evelyn had given me before she had passed. Uh, my grandmother on my father's side, not the one that's been on the podcast. Um, she's still kicking. The doll, I swear, would turn its head. Like, I have a thing with, with symmetry. If I have something displayed, I like it symmetrical and straight and even. When I put her up on a shelf, I would make sure she would be facing forward, her hands in her lap, her feet straight, that kind of thing. And, you know, I never played with her that much. To me, it was like that toy that you always took care of. One, her energy was, you know, weird. And I don't know why. But I was always, you know, really worried about damaging her and losing that little bit of my grandmother. But sometimes I would wake up and the head would have turned in the night looking at me. When I got older and started understanding the paranormal a little bit better, I would make sure to like close her eyes, but I would always find them open again. Or I would cover her, and then the cover, like the towel or whatever, would be gone later. Other times she'd be sitting like askew on her shelf to the point where she was basically falling off. And I found her like that several times. Again, anal retentive, put her in the shelf. Anyways. The weird thing was... My grandmother had also collected a bunch of these little mini dolls on her travels, like different, they would always be dressed in different uh, outfits from the culture that she would visit, that kind of thing. She'd always find these little, like, Chotsky little looking dolls. And, um, these little dolls would do the same thing. Like, most of the time, all they could do would be, like, blink or something. Uh, sometimes they could raise their arms, but not not usually, sometimes. But the eyes were always a thing. And you would, like, I would lay them down so their eyes were closed. And then they would be up, 
like in a standing position with their eyes open again. And only the dolls from my grandmother would do this. Stuffed animals on either side of them wouldn't have an issue. Just them. And again, it could be an over-imaginative, reactive child's mind perceiving these things happening. It could be, you know, grief and the memory of losing her. Perhaps it was my cat Tigger knocking things over. Or could have been something else. On this week's episode, we are delving into the history of one of the most famous haunted dolls in the world. Robert the Doll. This one has always given me the heebie-jeebies. Maybe because it's kind of relatable. Robert has been to blame for people losing their homes, jobs, relationships, deaths, and all sorts of mishaps. He has gained celebrity status from his little home at the Fort East Martello Museum in Key West, Florida, where he receives hundreds of visitors, letters, candy, and other presents a year. Many believe that he is the inspiration for the Chucky franchise. But what who is Robert? What haunts Robert the doll? Has he come to life because of a, the love of an obsessive child? Or is it a demon? There's so much to this story. And it is amazingly well documented. So, let's get into it, shall we? Grab yourself a cup of tea, make sure the doors are locked, and the sage is close by. I have a story to tell you. So to start off, let me describe this little guy for you. If you haven't seen him, and of course I'll post pictures of him on the website and everything. Robert is a one-of-a-kind, handmade doll, standing about 40 inches tall, a little over three feet. For all my 90s kids, think uh, my size Barbie, basically. He weighs about six pounds and is stuffed with wood, wood wool. That's hard to say. He has short blonde hair, which... Remember that. That becomes important later. He is dressed in a sailor suit with a little sailor hat. There is a red embroidered U.S. Navy insignia symbol on the arm of the doll's little white jacket. And according to NavyDads.com, the markings on Robert's sleeve indicate E.S. Petty Officer Second Class. What that means, I have no idea. But for those that understand, there you go. 
He apparently once had painted features like a clown or a jester. Now there's no paint left. I don't know. I didn't know anything about the paint when I first started doing uh, the research. But it came up a couple times that he might have had paint on his face at one point. It It's not overly important to the story, but I figured I'd throw it out there for you guys. Um, he kind of looks like a very simple Muppet. Like when they do like the human Muppets, it kind of looks like that. Very nut shaped with little beady black button eyes and very little facial features. Honestly, he kind of reminds me of a nut. He's a little pockmark looking in places, but I think that's mostly from age. Like he's starting to deteriorate a little bit. In his lap, he owns his own little doll. A little lion that the museum staff where he lives now has affectionately named Leo. Leo has big exaggerated eyes and his mouth is open like he's roaring. Picture any Victorian postcard or stuffed animal and you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about when I say exaggerated features and everything. I read other articles that refer to it as a dog and not a lion. Honestly, from the pictures, I wouldn't be able to tell what it is, I don't think. But I'm not going to argue with the museum staff. Robert has had one hell of a history. And it all started with a little boy named Robert Eugene Otto. The Ottos were a prominent family who immigrated from Germany during the 19th century and eventually settled in Key West. Jean was the youngest of four children. Mitzvah, Joseph, and Thomas Osgood were his siblings. Jean reportedly shared a close relationship with his sister, Mitzvah. And it's like the name Mitzvah. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but I like it. It is said that he was pretty quiet and shy. There's reports of him always being artistic. It is said that he picked up a paintbrush and started painting before he could even talk. Thomas Otto, Jean's father, was a physician and pharmacist. The family owned two pharmacies in Key West. In those days, doctors often doubled as pharmacists. Doctors often treated patients regardless of their ability to pay and often accepted goods and change in exchange for healthcare services. Accounts differ as to where Robert the doll came from and who gave it to Eugene. One story says that maybe he was given to the Otto family as a way to pay for their doctor's treatment. Probably one of the most cited origin stories that circulated over the years was that Robert was basically a voodoo doll. 
made by a Haitian servant. The servant gave Robert to Jean as an act of revenge against the Ottos for mistreating her. Robert was said to be made of human hair and stuffed with straw. Now, all of this sounds like the stuff of urban legend, but there is possible documented evidence. According to David Sloan, writer of Robert the Doll, the true biography of Key West's haunted doll, the Otto family employed two servants from the West Indies, William and Emmeline. We're going to say Emmeline Abbott. The Abbotts were a married couple who worked for the Ottos for many years, starting with Jean's grandfather, Joseph. The Abbotts are even buried in the Otto family plot. Emmeline Abbott gave birth to two children in 1900 and 1910. Now, don't quote me at this part, but I don't think they made it out of infancy like I I don't think they made it to adulthood I think they passed fairly young but don't I couldn't get confirmation on that I got tidbits here and there but while there's no evidence to prove it keywords here there's speculation that Emmeline Abbott may have had an affair with Jean's father, Thomas, the doctor. Now, everything I referred to, I, I'm sorry, everything I read referred to this as an affair. Air quotes. We all know by now that when it's a servant and a head of a household, like, just likely it's usually not consensual. Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong this time. I'm just saying. Information obtained from several documents points to Thomas being unfaithful to his wife, Minnie. According to Minnie Otto's journal, her husband received a lot of attention from women and that women in the community resented her because she wasn't from a wealthy background. Old money versus new money. Minnie also didn't want to be buried in the family plot for some reason. That to me is telling. There's also a mention of some interesting fatherly advice that came from Joseph to Thomas. Jean's grandfather is quoted as advising his son about venereal disease and to practice not abstinence but prophylactic care. So even his father knew that he was a dog. You know. Also, Emmeline tried to file a lawsuit against the Ottos after Thomas's death. I couldn't find for sure what the lawsuit was about. One thing I read said it was possible that the Otto family stopped paying her. I don't know. Something was going on, but there was no evidence to prove downright that Emmeline Abbott and Thomas Otto had an affair. 
Based off of this information, some theories have emerged. The spirit that resides in Robert the Doll is the spirit of Thomas Otto and Emmeline's children, child, or that of her deceased child conceived with her husband, William. Another theory is that Emmeline used magic to trap her child's spirit in the doll. So that's all rather juicy, let's be honest. It's a good story. Perhaps Jean's attachment to Robert stems from Robert being haunted by a half-sibling. Visitors to the museum, as well as members of the staff, have said that they've seen the apparition of what appears to be a female child of a mixed race around Robert the doll. She's described as about five years old, with long brown curly hair, wearing an old-fashioned type nightgown. Poochie Myers served as a caretaker for the artist house during the 1980s. She described seeing the spirit of the little girl sitting on a staircase. Myers said that the little girl seemed angry. I would be too. But that's, that, that's some pretty compelling paranormal stuff right there. Oh, also to debunk part of this myth right away, a team from the Key West Art and Historical Society gives Robert an annual examination to make sure he stays in good condition. The team recorded every detail about Robert. Robert's hair is not human hair, but most likely mohair. He is stuffed with a straw-like material and covered with felt. Using actual child's hair for a doll is not unheard of in the Victorian era, or using human hair as a taglock in voodoo or witchcraft is pretty common. So it makes sense why people would think that, but in this case, for Robert, it's not the case. In fact, Robert the doll being given to Jean is far more mundane. According to Dr. Corey Convertito, curator of the Key West Art and Historical Society, on an episode of Deadly Possessions, said it is a gift from his mother, Jean's mother, for his fourth birthday. According to Jean's sister's Mitzpah's family history, Jean's grandfather, Joseph Otto, maintained a relationship with relatives in Germany and both German and American autos exchanged gifts. There's evidence that Jean's mother may have brought Robert to the U.S. after returning home from a trip to Hamburg on September 4th, 1904. Mini Otto is on the passenger list 
for a ship a little over a month before Jean's birthday on October 25th. After some digging, the museum traced Robert's origins to the Steff Company of Germany from around the turn of the century, the same toy maker that first manufactured a teddy bear in honor of Theodore Roosevelt. Robert was most likely never intended to be sold as a toy. A Steff historian told the museum that Robert was probably part of a set fabricated for a window display of clowns or gestures. Maybe that's where the paint comes from. Robert's little sailor suit, however, was not supplied by the company. Anyways, Robert Eugene was immediately in love with his doll. Obsessed, really. He decided to give the doll his first name of Robert, and he started going by his shortened middle name, Gene. Gene was the one that gave him his little sailor suit that once belonged to him, which I believe it's the Key West Art and Historical Society, believes they have a picture of baby Eugene in the sailor outfit. I'll, I'll put it with the pictures for the, on the website. Uh, they also believe he was the one that gave Robert his little plush lion. Now, this is where things take a turn. According to legend, young Jane began to blame mishaps on the doll. Even the adults around him started noticing odd occurrences, especially as Jean and Robert grew older. In another article, Convertito says he brought it everywhere. He talked about it in the first person as if it weren't a doll. He was Robert, as in he was a live entity. The autos and their servants would often hear Gene in his bedroom having conversations with himself in two entirely different voices. Ugh. Furthermore, the autos would wake up in the middle of the night to Jean's screaming, only to find the frightened boy in bed, surrounded by overturned furniture. Jean would blame Robert the doll for messing up the bedroom, while Robert would glare at Jean from the foot of the bed. Soon after, mutilated toys and mysterious happenings would appear in the home, only to have Jean proclaim each time Robert did it. Though the autos didn't quite believe Jean, it was reported that they could hear the eerie sound of Robert giggling around the house. No. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. Jean went away to college as an adult 
and studied architecture at the University of Virginia for two and a half years. Robert didn't accompany him. Jean went on to study painting at the Academy of Fine Arts in Chicago for three years. He spent the following two and a half years working with the Art Students League in New York. From New York, he moved to Paris, where he established himself in a studio and met his future wife, Annette Parker, after here referred to as Anne. Anne was originally from New England and was in Paris studying music. The two married on May 3, 1930 at the American Cathedral in Paris. Jean and Anne Otto eventually moved back to the U.S. in the mid-1930s and settled in New York City. This was during the Great Depression and times were difficult financially for Jean, Anne, and both of their families. And let's be honest, the rest of the world. Jean worked as a furniture salesman and Anne performed some shows at the Rainbow Room at Rockefeller Center as Anne Gerard, Gerard, Gerard. The two composed and copyrighted more than 30 songs with Jean writing the lyrics to Anne's music. One song of Time and the River was recorded by singer Jimmy Barley Burley. During the 1940s, Jean learned that his mother was sick and the couple moved back to Key West. I think they moved into the family home because it seems like Anne had to deal with Jean and Robert almost immediately. Anne, like any other smart person, didn't like Robert and insisted Jean keep Robert in a separate room. Jean created a room especially for Robert in the attic. He even furnished the room with a with child-sized furniture and toys for Robert. Jean made Robert's room his studio in the turret in the southwest window and painted with Robert at his side. He said the lighting was better there, but it could have been his connection to Robert that brought him to the room over and over again. Eventually, Jean's parents passed away, and Jean and Anne owned the home jointly. Jean, at this point, started referring to the house as the artist's house, which it actually still goes by today. Myrtle Rudder, who later owned the artist's house, said that a neighbor told her that Anne said that when Jean would say or do something hurtful to her, he would tell her, I didn't do it, Robert did it. In another story, Anne and Jean eventually started sleeping in separate bedrooms. Robert lived in Jean's room, 
another story states that Anne's disdain for Robert grew a lot. Although I never saw her referred to by her name in these stories, only as Jean's wife. Not sure if that's telling of how credible this story is, or just lazy storytelling. I don't know. But she got sick of Robert and locked him in the attic. Things with Robert were so intense after locking him away, Jean's wife died from insanity, revenge from the little haunted doll. I saw this pop up a couple times in my research, so I felt like I needed to share it with you guys. But Anne, as we will see later, had a long life. <laughs> Though, it seems like she put up with a lot of shit from Jean. On top of the haunted doll. Now, you may be picturing this family locked away in this Victorian mansion, slowly losing control over reality because of this haunted doll manipulating them and breaking them apart. And, I mean, that might have been what was going on on the inside, but from the outside, everything appeared fine. Jean and Anne were respected citizens in the area, and Jean pursued his career as an artist. He had many art openings attended by prominent Key West residents. He also supported community organizations such as the Key West Women's Club and Garden Club. They were active for the most part. Jean Otto passed away on June 24, 1974 in a Miami hospital. It was determined that his death was caused by Parkinson's disease. An article in the Sun Sentinel written 10 years after his death said that in the months leading up to his death, Jean spent most of his time in the attic talking to Robert. Some stories say that Jean died with Robert by his side. After his death, Anne found out that she had been written out of her husband's will. According to a letter by Jean's sister, Mezpa, Otto DeBeau, I just like saying her full name, uh, to a nephew, Jean was hurt when he found out that he had been written out of Anne's mother's will. So, Jean left everything to his sister, Mitzpah. Anne owned the artist's house jointly with Jean, thankfully, because she probably would have lost everything. She sold it to a neighbor and friend, William Grace Gazer. She gave Robert to Gazer and told him that doll was Jean's best friend. Of course, 
he never had any other friends. Anne moved to Massachusetts to live with her sister. She died five years later in January of 1979 of pancreatic cancer. She was buried in Nor Norwich, Connecticut. From like there on, passerbys claimed to see a doll moving from window to window. Many thought there was children in the house. Many years ago on some ghost show, I couldn't even tell you which one it was. I remember there was this story about the house and Robert that just stuck with me. There was a bunch of young kids out playing and noticed a little boy upstairs in the house watching them, even moving between the windows to watch them better. They came to the, app, to the house and asked if the little boy upstairs wanted to come out and play with them. I think this is amazingly sweet. It's, it's a very sweet gesture from these neighborhood kids. But of course, there was no child in the house. Uh, Robert was eventually moved to the attic where he remained for a number of years. William Gazer eventually sold the artist's house to Myrtle Rudder, who then became Robert's caretaker for 20 years. At first, Rudder said that she didn't have any problems. She said that she would dress Robert in PJs and put him by the Christmas tree on Christmas Eve. It, it sounds adorable. But then you remember who it is and it's like, it's so weird. It's, it's insane. He, he's just hanging out, not causing any troubles by the Christmas tree. There is the story of two men who rented the house from Myrtle Rudder during the mid-1970s and said that they heard noises coming from the attic of children laughing and someone rummaging around. The rummaging noise is something that was reported a lot. When they went upstairs to investigate, they noticed that Robert had changed position. The activity became more frequent. They invited a friend to see Robert, Malcolm Ross. Ross says that he experienced a strange feeling when he was around Robert, described as a metal bar running down his back. Robert, I'm sorry, Ross also describes Robert changing facial expressions. He describes Robert as looking like a child being punished and that as he talked to his friends about the room, Robert seemed to be following the conversation. Eventually, Myrtle and her husband sold the artist's house in 1980. She took Robert to her new home 
where she let him sit on the porch. She said after that, after moving into a new home, that's when strange things started to happen. According to The Sun, the British paper, a young girl that lived in the house started having horrible experiences. I don't know if this was when William or Myrtle owned it or if it was renters. I'm not 100% sure there wasn't enough detail in the article, but I feel like this story is worth telling. The article reads, Robert was found in the attic and given to the family's 10-year-old daughter, but she soon began to suffer from night terrors. Her other dolls were being mutilated, and she claimed that Robert moved around her bedroom and tried to attack her. She claimed Robert the doll tried to kill her on more than one occasion, and when the family dog was found with a cord tied tightly around its neck, Robert was put in a trunk in the attic. This was the only time I saw this story pop up, and The Sun is not the most reputable source. I would like to discount immediately that it seems that everyone that bought the house knew Robert came along with it. So I guess it's possible if these were renters, they might not have mentioned it. I don't know. In 1994, life with Robert became too much for Myrtle. The Key West Art and Historical Society assistant director, Joe Pace, spoke with her when she brought him into the museum. She set Robert down in a chair in his office and said, This is Robert, and he's a part of the Otto family, and I can't stand him being in my house anymore. Rudder said that she locked Robert in a room after noticing that he moved on his own. After that, she said Robert locked her in a room. I'm sorry, but that's scary. <laughs> that he's able to do that. At the same time, though, it seems like such a bratty little kid thing to do. Though to me, it makes sense. He's haunted, she said to Pais, when Pais suggested that she should keep Robert. Myrtle insisted that she wanted the doll out of the house and eagerly filled out the paperwork to donate him. She died less than three months later. After Robert arrived at the museum, paranormal activity increased at the museum and decreased at the artist's house, but never fully went away. More on that later. Pais noticed something different about Robert. He kept Robert in a small antique chair in his office. Pais said that when he looked at Robert, he stared back at him in an unchildlike way. Pais believed that Robert was moving the chair around 
and made a mark near one of the chair legs to see if the chair was moving. I've seen this. I don't know if it was confirmed. Payas shared his office with museum director Susan Olson. She didn't like Robert and didn't want him to be in the office, especially if she was in there. Eventually, Robert was moved to the museum's artifact storage room. Robert stayed there for two years and visitors could see him by appointment. Museum employees were so frightened of Robert that they often suggested visitors come back to visit on a day when they weren't the ones working or put the responsibility of retrieving Robert on a co-worker. Love it. In mid-1996, a local ghost tour was encouraging guests to visit Robert. After requests for Robert increase, he was placed on display. Robert is now over a century old, but it seems like he's really isn't slowing down. Or at least not in a paranormal sense. Or maybe he is. More on that later. He lives at the East Fort Martello Museum in Key West, Florida, and strange things started being reported immediately. Lights flicker, cam cameras malfunction. One of the things that has made Robert the Doll infamous is a lot of visitors attribute post-visit misfortunes to failing to respect Robert or even openly disrespecting him. Some of these misfortunes include divorce, car accidents, broken bones, job loss, financial issues, heart attacks, and other health issues, and even death. On an episode of the Osbournes Want to Believe, Jack Osborne jokes that he didn't believe in the curse of Robert Dahl and had a great year, a great year after visiting him. He went through a divorce. Ozzy Osbourne, who was also there, wanted nothing to do with it. Literally, this little doll freaks out Ozzy Osbourne. That's metal. These became so frequent that there is an unofficial set of rules when visiting Robert. Always greet Robert and introduce yourself when you meet him, including where you are from. Do not tap or knock on the glass case that Robert is encased in. Do not make fun of Robert or his stuffed pet dog. Do not make fun of Jean or his artwork. Never question Robert's power or taunt him. Do not critique Robert's appearance or outfit. 
always ask for Robert's permission before taking a photo of him. Thank Robert when you are leaving the exhibit or the museum. Do not critique the letters pinned to the wall. And there are a lot of letters. Because of these misfortunes, people have written to Robert begging for forgiveness. These letters give detailed accounts of people's misfortunes, apologizing to Robert for the disrespect and plead for him to lift the curse. Others ask for advice or to hex those who have wronged them. I don't know if I could ever be pissed off enough at someone to sick Robert the doll on them. That's twisted. Convertino, the director that we talked about earlier, says that they have received more than a thousand letters, which they keep and catalog. He gets probably one to three letters every day, she says. But they aren't typical. Again, they're apologies. For the most part. Here's just some of the ones I have found published online. Jessica Schrankengost Newman. Totally should have asked my husband because I believe it's German. Her middle name apparently means frightened of ghosts. Interesting little tidbit. Uh, manager of the artist house at one point put a decorative bowl of plastic lemons on the reception desk. Cute little decorations, right? The lemons suddenly started to disappear. Guests checking out would return them. They didn't say anything, but just put the lemons back. Sounds like a little kid prank to me. About a month later, a package arrived with no name, no note, and no return address. Just a lemon. Months later, a guest asked if she had seen a letter to Robert at the Fort East Martello Museum. The letter was from a woman who found a lemon among her and her husband's belongings when they returned home from Florida. She wrote that she and her husband had seen Robert several times and never experienced anything negative. During their last visit, they stayed at the artist's house in the turret suite, below the attic room where Robert lived for many years. They decided to take a look in the attic and popped into the hatch door. They took pictures, thinking they might catch something paranormal on camera. The next day, before checkout, they were doing some last-minute shopping as you do on your last day of vacation. She began to feel pain 
started running a fever and noticed a rash. After re arriving home, a doctor diagnosed her with shingles. I've had shingles. Shingles suck. <laughs> her husband started to feel pain and was diagnosed with kidney stones. When she was unpacking, she found a plastic lemon wrapped up in one of her shirts. She didn't know how it got into her suitcase. She thought that Robert was the cause of her and her husband's sickness. She thought that Robert was punishing them for taking pictures in the attic without his permission. She mailed the lemon back to the artist's house. Once the lemon was on its way back, she and her husband began to recover. She requested that her letter be posted near Robert. Another story is from someone who said that they followed Robert's rules. The writer told Robert their name, asked permission before taking his photo, and thanked Robert. Later that night, their bottom lip swelled to twice its size and they developed a rash on both their arms and hands that lasted a couple of days. They looked up Robert on the internet and didn't find any information to suggest that the rules weren't followed. As they closed the tab, they noticed another tab open with no title on it. There was only one sentence on the page that read, you did not say where you were from. Creepy as hell. So that list that I mentioned earlier, some of those I found online, but like this story and a couple other ones, I added to that list personally. So I'm trying to get you guys completely covered and to remind myself. Um, there is one positive letter mentioned. The writer was a woman who said she had nothing but the best of luck after visiting Robert. The specifics aren't mentioned, but the woman expresses her appreciation and thanks to Robert. The letter goes on to refer as Robert to refer to Robert, there we go, as a demon whose role is to teach people to ask permission. She goes on to say that Robert is specifically a demon in charge of good manners. Y'all, I don't know how I feel about that, but it's interesting. Robert also receives emails and, like, gifts. At some point, it became known that Robert had a sweet tooth, so people would leave and send him candy. Once he received a box containing eight bags of peppermints, a card, and no address. Exercising caution, 
the museum staff does not consume treats sent to Robert. Probably the safest thing. Guests leave him sweets, money, and occasionally joints. <laughs> it's completely inappropriate, says Convertito. We are still a museum. It. I don't know why, but this, probably the joint thing, uh, reminds me of New Orleans where they would leave cigarettes. So, to me, it's not that far-fetched. There's one story of a couple who spent their honeymoon in Florida. After visiting Robert, they lost all of their vacation photos, as well as all their wedding pictures. That's so sad. For their first anniversary, the couple decided to visit Robert again, and this time they brought Robert peppermint candy and showed Robert the candy. When they were alone with Robert, after giving him the candy, the lights in Robert's room went out for a minute. The couple felt that this was Robert's way of expressing his thanks for the candy. I don't know why you would go back again, but more power to you. Occasionally, Convertito corresponds on Robert's behalf. She tries to send something to every child who writes him. Jean always had a childlike temperament around him, and we feel like Robert would want to be kind to children, she said. And she has responded to more poignant ones such as an email from a little girl who was being bullied at school. Since Robert arrived at the museum, visitors have blocked to get a look at the mysterious doll. He has appeared on numerous TV shows, has had his aura photographed, which I would love to see that. He is a stop on a couple different ghost tours, it sounds like. And it is said that he is the inspiration for the Chucky franchise. So sidebar on this one. Robert being the inspiration for Chucky seems to have been debunked, unfortunately, by the original screenplay writer Don Mincelli who stated that Chucky the Doll was inspired by the Cabbage Patch Kids and My Buddy Doll craze in the 80s, while the movie plot was based off of horror films such as the 1975 movie Trilogy of Terror and the Living Doll episode of The Twilight Zone aired in 1963. Even after he said this, People just will not let go of Robert being the inspiration of Chucky. I find this interesting because in a lot, let's be honest, there's a lot of gatekeeping in the paranormal world, especially when it comes to things like this. But I, 
I, I've seen this over and over and over. And usually, like, I guess, like on the podcast now, the fact that he wasn't the inspiration is a footnote. So I, I don't know. I'm always going to link him because I can't help it. Fans can buy books, coasters, t-shirts. And the more adventurous ones can even volunteer to be locked in with Robert after dark. It's called the Robert the Doll Experience. This is the description from the website. This is the tour seasoned ghost hunters seek out. Packed with local history, the spirits of Civil War soldiers, the world's most haunted doll await you on a 90-minute ghost hunting adventure through the infamous East Fort Martello, a Civil War fortress constructed in 1862 that houses the largest collection of haunted artifacts in Florida. This experience includes a 60-minute guided hunt through the dimly lit fort and a 25-minute sit-down lockdown with Robert the Doll. Paranormal activity is regularly encountered. Due to the intensity of some experiences, this tour is not appropriate for anyone under 12 years old. I'm not sure if this tour is like appropriate for anyone with the way they made it sound. But whatever. You can even buy mini Roberts to take with you. These little dolls come with a polite warning that reads, Thank you for your order. Take good care of my mini-me. I have an eye on you, Robert. I always thought I wanted one of these because it's cute and it supports a museum and helps with, you know, paratourism, that sort of thing. I'm not so sure if I want it now after hearing about the note. Also, just in case you were wondering, because I was, there is a mini Leo the lion that comes with. So, Convertino, once a year, administers that checkup we were talking about. Taking him out of the case and weighing him to assess whether the humid Florida weather has started to adversely affect his little straw-filled body. He lives in a new display case which was recently donated by someone who is a fan of Robert's complete with humidity control and UV filtering glass to preserve the artifact. And after all this, somebody has to ask does Convertino think Robert is haunted? I don't know. I really don't, she says. I've never had a bad experience with him. 
I never felt uncomfortable. It's always been a very basic relationship and I have a job to do and I go and do it. And whether there's something to it or not, he just allows me to get on with my job. Now, if you watch her on the Deadly Possessions episode, the, the Zach Bagan look at my museum show, they have her on with Robert. And, of course, the editing makes everything more dramatic and scary and everything. But she seems like she's talking about a child she's babysitting almost. It's it's not too strange, but at the same time, I think considering it's Robert the Doll, it, it comes off strange. Go and watch it and let me know what you think. David Sloan, author of Robert's biography, said that he had some strange experiences while doing research for his book. He said that he lost four hard drives and that computer techs were able to retrieve everything except the book manuscript. Backups of the manuscript also disappeared. More than one spirit medium also advised him to build a fireproof safe for his valuables while working on the book. Sloan, I, I never heard anything about anything catching on fire. Uh, Sloan was told that if Robert didn't approve of the book, he would give Sloan cancer. Also, as far as I know, he's cancer free, but I don't know. Maybe he's not. Sloan also said that he was pulled from his bed held suspended in mid-air and that he had been levitated. He also founded the ghost tour in Key West that in 1996 influenced Robert's move from the museum storage to permanent display. So I think that means we get to blame him for everything, but you know. Paranormal activity is still reported at the artist's house, including the apparition of a woman who appears in the garden. There's a theory that this female presence is Anne Otto, and that she's there to protect people from Robert. According to a report from October 25th, 2003, Gene Otto's birthday, a gathering of 80 people witnessed a blue orb come from the sky through the guest house roof and appear to the crowd in front of the house. The orb went through the balcony and disappeared into the ground. This orb is said to have appeared again in October 2012 
as a tour guide was sharing new information uncovered about the Otto family. The orb reportedly circled the tour guide's head for several minutes. Today, the artist's house is a bed and breakfast. And honestly, it's gorgeous. I spent way too much time looking at pictures of this thing online. Seriously, y'all, it's pretty. I really want to go. You can even stay in the old turret room. Just, and maybe not opening the attic like that one couple. There's also an Anne's room and a Jean's studio room. So no matter what, you're surrounded by these people and the history of this place. Oh, one last legend that surrounds Robert the Doll. Remember at the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned that Robert's hair is blonde? Over the years, it has been noticed that his hair is fading in color. This, of course, makes sense. He's over a century old. He's sat on porches and in windows in Florida. There's bound to be some fading. Even though he's in that nice, humidity-controlled, UV-protected box. Now... Right? People believe that this is actually a sign of his soul slowly fading away as it seems to correspond with the paranormal activity lessening at the museum. So maybe one day, whatever inhabits Robert the Doll can finally be at peace. It also means I need to make a trip to Florida sooner rather than later. Thank you to everyone out there listening today. If you are interested in more pictures, info, and my sources for this week's episode, make sure to check out my website, myhauntedlifepodcast.com. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. If you have a ghost story and you want to share it, please email me at myhauntedlifepodcast at gmail.com. I love that. Tell me your story. It makes me so happy. And you might end up on the show. And, you know, don't forget to tell your friends and family about us. And you can follow everything on My Haunted Life Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Y'all, I have been recording for probably almost two hours. I'm getting tired, if you can't tell. I got, again, very long episode. But I hope... You guys enjoyed it. Podcasting is hard. (laughs) So if you like the show and want to support it, please subscribe to the Patreon page. You can support the show for as little as $2 a month. 
We're doing more of the fireside ghost chats. They're just too much fun. Uh, where am I? I'm looking at my notes. Again, you guys, I'm so tired. Music is by Ghost Stories Incorporated. And that's it for this show. I'll see you all next week on my Haunted Life podcast. And until then, stay spooky. Thank you.